Good morning and happy Father's Day. Hey, how many dads do we have here? Would you just stand up, please, for a moment and stay standing and let everybody applaud you? Man, I, I love being in a church service with this many dads. Isn't that great? God bless you. You may be seated. You know, we just, we, I was so blessed for all the ladies and, and, and kids who serve here. And you guys do so much to make New Spring what it is. One thing I'm really pumped about is how many godly men this church has. You know, there are a lot of churches that, you know, ladies tend to be very spiritual and, and follow the Lord, but sometimes the men don't follow the Lord. And, and I'm just so happy that you guys are here and you're serving the Lord, and you're an example. I have three sons, and I got to tell you, you know, outside of my wife, and they are the joy of my life. They're all three different. I don't know how many dads can testify to that. I got three sons, and, you know, as soon as I think I got it figured out, the next one comes along, and I'm thinking, I don't have any idea at all. <laughs> You know, I always tell the story about the two women who graduated with child psychology degrees, and they met at a college reunion 20 years later, and and one of them said, you know, when I was in college, I had six theories about raising kids. She said, now I have six kids and no theories. (laughs) That's kind of what I'm like, but I have three wonderful sons and a perfect, I want you to hear that, perfect granddaughter. I got to tell you. Uh, you know, those boys I could get on to, you know, and I did. And, and Stephen and Jared and Jonathan would testify to that. But granddaughters, you just like whatever they do is right. There's just nothing wrong. You know, I'm, I know everybody's got a sin nature, but I'm just not sure about my granddaughter. So uh, I want to introduce a good friend here today. I'm so glad to have Tom Goss with us right here. Tom, would you wave at everybody? Tom. Tom is pastor of Miles Strait Baptist Church in Chattanooga area. His awesome wife, Melinda, is in starting point with Mary Alice this morning. If you're ever in the Chattanooga area, don't think twice about where to go to church. You want to go to Miles Strait. If you ever get transferred there, it is. And, and listen, if you've ever been in Chattanooga, you know, they got two churches on every corner and signs pointing to two more. You know, there are churches everywhere. But when I'm there, I just, I know where to go. He is an awesome pastor, and, and God is doing a great work there. I've had the joy of speaking there and worshiping with him. And, and you know what? You know, listen, let me tell you, you know you have a real friend when they spend a week of their vacation in Wichita. <laughs> right? Am I right? I mean, <laughs> so you know they love you, you know, when they come here to spend a week. And we've had an awesome time, and God's doing super things. And Tom He's just got a heart for God. He's like me. He's second generation. His dad pastored the church for many years. His dad's also a good friend of mine. We served on a board together, and, and I'm just pumped about what God's doing at Miles Strait. Um, I did not plan this series when I planned the year. Uh, our, our staff, our creative team, meets together in the fall of every year, and I give them a flight plan for the next year. And I tell them what I believe God is leading me to bring for messages for the next year. And we sort of schedule them. And this series was not in the plan. So we had to shoehorn it in. And I'm so, I just want to let you know that because I felt that God was truly leading me to talk about this topic right now. And we moved another series out. And we have this one in its place. And we didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for it because we just were overwhelmed with a sense that God wanted this series right now. And already from what we heard last night at the end of the service, just people coming and talking to me, I really think I understand why God wanted this series right now. It all started with uh, a day when I told Mary Alice I would cook dinner. Now that's just almost uh, a a moment where the whole calendar just stops, you know, because for one thing, I'm not very handy in the kitchen. I'm not handy any place too much, but certainly not in the kitchen. 
And let me tell you what I'm really good at making in the kitchen. A mess. Any other ladies, you know that? Your husband says, I'm going to cook dinner. And you're saying, please, no, 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 don't cook dinner. I mean, that's, but I had told Marielle, so I said, I know you're really, really busy right now, so I'm going to cook dinner. And so I I got home and and I started pulling the stuff out of the fridge that I was going to work with. But being ADHD, I have to think about three or four things at one time. And we have this little television in our kitchen and I turned it on. And so while I'm working, I'm listening in the background and a commercial comes on for a television show. And I understand as I'm listening to this commercial in the background that this show is based on a very popular book, a best-selling book. And here was the name of the show. It was called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Have any of you seen that? Would you raise your hand if you've seen that? Just to make sure that everybody understands. I'm not lying. It's, it's an obscure show, I think, on A&E, but still, it's there. A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. Now, that title got under my skin a little bit. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I thought to myself, yeah, I know there's a lot of cool places on the earth, but why do I have to see them before I die? I mean, that's the inference. Think about this. I mean, let's just take that line apart for a moment. A thousand places to see before you die. Why do you have to get them in before you die? Is it because that after you die, you're not going to be you anymore? I mean, there are people who believe that. They believe that when you die, maybe there's life after this. You could come back as a squirrel or a nut or a scorpion, or you could come back as a breeze that floats through the air. So maybe you won't be you, and if you're not you, you can't see places. Maybe that's the idea. Or maybe they think that when you come back, you know, in the next life, you won't be able to see. If you have to get the places in and see them before you die, maybe that's it. Or maybe they think that after you die, there won't be places. I'm just asking the question, why do you have to get them in before you die? Because I don't believe you do. In fact, I just believe when, when you die, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you just starting, you are just starting to see places. And that's why this morning I want to start this series with a thousand, this is me being upset with that show, all right? A thousand places to see after you die. Because I believe, you know, listen, I got to tell you, my belief, and I tell you this time and time again here at New Spring, I believe this life is just a prelude. The main volume is yet to come. So I want to start our series talking about a thousand places to see after you die. Now, the moment I talk about heaven, I know some of us are going to have issues. And even those of us here in church, we're going to have issues because we've grown up with some myths about heaven. I love, there's one thing I love to do with sacred cows. I love to make hamburger out of them. So we're going to do that this morning. All right. One of the myths about heaven that just gets under my skin and makes me so upset is that when you get to heaven, you're going to float around on a cloud and twang on a harp, and we're all going to turn into angels. Now, first of all, could I tell you, no place in the Bible says anywhere that any of us who follow Jesus, who go into eternity, are going to be angels. So could I just say, I mean, people tell me sometimes, well, I know my grandmother's in heaven, and she's an angel. No, 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 your grandmother's not an angel. I mean, angels were created beings to serve the Lord, to minister to God. You know what you're going to be when you go to heaven? You're going to be you. You know who your grandmother is? Your grandmother's your grandmother. Now, she, don't, she won't look elderly like she did when you said goodbye to her because she's going to be young and beautiful. In fact, she's more alive right now than you are. So if you say my grandmother, if she followed Jesus, if you say my grandmother's dead, you're spot wrong because she's not. So I just want to get that across because I, I got to tell you something. I, if that was heaven for me and I got to float around on a cloud somewhere and twang on a harp and fly around with angel wings, you know, I, I just got to tell you, I, that wouldn't interest me at all. But the good news is heaven's not like that. 
Then I meet people every once in a while who tell me when I get to heaven. I used to hear this when I was a kid. Preachers would say this sometimes. When we get to heaven, it's going to be one long church service. Now, I'm a pastor. I love church. But I got to tell you what. I mean, I was a kid sitting there listening to that service. I'm thinking, oh, boy. (laughs) I'm waiting for this one to end. (laughs) And when I get to heaven, one long church service. And it's not that, I mean, listen, when we get to heaven, they're going to be awesome worship services. And we're going to love them. And you won't be listening to me. You're going to be listening to Jesus. And that will be awesome. And you're going to have a great time. And, and Lance is the greatest worship pastor in the world. And, 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 but as great as he is when we get to heaven, you, you should hear him there. I'm telling you. You know, on his day when he's leading worship up there in heaven, I mean, you ain't heard nothing yet. It's going to be, they're going to be great worship services, but heaven is going to be so much more. See, here's what I'm thinking. A lot of us, we don't think about heaven. We don't like to think about it very much because first off, we don't care too much for dying, which is what you have to do before you get there. And then secondly, we sort of have this idea that when we get to heaven, it's this sort of nether world, surreal world floating around. It's a bunch of spirits and spooks and ghosts and stuff. Listen to what the Bible, and I just want to give you some of the things that the Bible says about heaven, things that will be in heaven that you will recognize right now. First of all, this is certainly an incomplete list, but here are a few things that I'm going to throw at you this morning. The Bible says in heaven there will be cities. Did you know that? Cities. There will be rivers, which means there will be bass boats. (laughs) Gates, trees, fruit, animals, streams of water, dancing, crops, mountains, nations, jewels and for all of us who like to eat banquets there will be children there will be music oh so i just want to let you know we're not going to a place that you you're saying well i don't have any contact i don't have any any sense of connection with heaven so today starting off with this message a thousand places to see after you die let me give you the ground rule for this series you know, it hasn't been too long. Just a few weeks ago, there was the Indy 500. You know what? You know, don't you love that moment at the beginning where whoever is starting the race says, ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. I like that. I don't know why I do. I never watch. I'm, I'm more too easily to watch the whole thing. But I just love that. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. What I want to say to you this morning is, ladies and gentlemen, start your imaginations. Now, I talk to people every once in a while, so I don't want to think about heaven. When I get there, then I'll think about it. But I'm kind of spooked to think about it right now. That is the absolute wrong thing to do. I am convinced that the reason God gave you an imagination, the primary, the essential, the fundamental reason why you have an imagination is so you can dream about the awesome place that God has designed you for. So let's talk about that. Because somebody could say, well, Mark, I don't know about that. I still don't like to think about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this. Listen carefully. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I started preaching when I was 16 years old, and I preached youth revivals for churches. They would bring me in to, like in the summer, I would preach to the teens. And I, I can't tell you how many times back in those days and since then that kids would come up to me and say, oh, Mark, you're saying that Jesus is coming back. Do you think that I'll be able to get married before Jesus comes back because I really want to get that in, and I don't want to go to heaven until I get married yet, you know? It's like heaven's inferior. And then I had kids, especially boys, come up to me, preteens, and say, Mark, do you think that I'm going to get my driver's license 
before Jesus comes back. And sometimes I size them up and said, no, I don't think so. I think Jesus will come back years before you get your driver's license. But I, those questions were asked me. And I understand. Here's the deal. Here's, see, one of the problems I have with churches, we don't strip the veneer very often and get down to what's behind those kinds of questions. Let's do that. You know what's behind the question that says, I want to get this in before I go to heaven? It is the feeling that myths have created in our mind that heaven is inferior to this life. In other words, if I leave this life, I'm going to miss something. And occasionally, we'll, we'll feel that, won't we? When, when, when death will take a child or a young person, and we'll say, oh my, he never got to graduate. Or oh my, she never got to go to college. Or oh my, he never got to get married. And it's like, unfortunately, they never really got to finish out the things that were really important. Let me tell you what the verse you and I just read tells us. Number one. You take, think for a moment, just play with me for a little bit. Think about the most beautiful sight you have ever seen in your life. Chances are you had to leave Kansas to see it. But think about the most beautiful place you've ever seen. No, I love Kansas. Think about the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your life. Now, I can think of it real clear. It's a place in the Caribbean. I can see it right now. For you, it may be something completely different. I mean, really, when it gets down to it, the most beautiful sight we've ever seen is the sight of our wives, our kids, our husbands, our family, our parents. But still, I mean, think about a place for a moment, the most beautiful place. Have you got it? You got it in your mind? Now, here's what I want you to do. Add your imagination to it. I, I love what they're able to do with, with computer you know, generation. I mean, they can take a beautiful spot, and they can make the colors brighter, and they can you know, make the image sharper and stuff like that. They can add images and add things. Think about the most beautiful place you've ever seen in your life. Add all your imagination to it. And do you realize that what you're imagining could not begin to compare with the most common sight in heaven? Because the Bible says, I has not seen the things that God's prepared. Now, the next thing I want you to think about is think about the most beautiful sound you've ever heard in your life. I mean, I've had, in, in 30 years of pastoring, I've, I've been at the bedside of believers who've gone to heaven. And I've had them say some awesome things to me. One of the things that I've heard a couple of times is a person was letting go of their spirit. I've heard them say, Pastor, can you hear the music? Now, you think about the most beautiful sound you've ever heard in your life. Add your greatest and wildest imagination to it, and it cannot compare, compare to the music you'll hear on Tuesday morning in heaven. Now, somebody will say, well, I, you know, there are just so many thrills in this world that I want to experience. Well, think about the third thing that verse says. Think about the greatest thrill, the moment, the, the second of greatest thrill that you've ever had in your life. Add your wildest imagination to it, and it can't begin to compare to the most basic feeling in heaven. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, feeling hasn't felt the awesome things that God has prepared for us in heaven. So trust me, when you leave this life, you're not leaving anything that you really want. That's awesome. So now, what are we talking about when we talk about heaven? Because we sort of use this generic word to talk about heaven. Really, when it gets right down to it, and I'm going to try to make this as simple as I can because I'm a simple guy and I need for it to be simple, there are really three places we're talking about. Heaven is, is a term, really, that means where God lives. And trust me, the thing that will make heaven heaven more than anything else is being with God, being with Jesus. 
Because Paul said, right now, we're at home in our bodies and we're physically separated from Christ. But he said, the time is coming when we'll be absent from this body and we'll be present with Christ. So heaven is wherever God is. But I think there are three places, and I just want to give them to you real quickly. Number one, there's an intermediate place. See, God wants to make sure that when we get to the real place, to the, to the real heaven that he's ultimately preparing, he wants us to be there as well as the people who have already gone on before. So the people who have gone on before, from what I can understand in the Bible, are in an intermediate place. But please don't think they're in a holding room or a waiting room at a doctor's office, okay? Because the word paradise in the Bible indicates that it's like this magnificent garden kind of place. It is a wonderful place. And God is there because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And our loved ones, if you've had a mother or a dad or a son or a daughter or a brother, sister or a friend who has died and they follow Jesus Christ, they are in this place right now and they are having the time of their lives. Let me tell you three things. Would you like to know three things that your, that your loved ones are doing right now? Would you be up for that? You want to hear three things that your loved ones are doing in this intermediate place called heaven? Because God thinking about this, I didn't even plan to preach this. I thought about this on the way to church last night. And I wrote it down, so I want to give it to you. So if you've got a mom or dad or grandmother, or maybe on Father's Day your dad is with the Lord, you want to know what he's doing, he's doing three things that I know of. Number one, he's hanging out. Now, i got to think about this. Because in the Bible, from time to time, we have somebody show up who has already died and is already with the Lord. And the odd thing that I was thinking about is how many times they're with somebody. For instance, on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Moses and Elijah. They weren't contemporaneous with each other, but they were, they were together because they had been together in heaven. And then in Luke 16, it is Lazarus and Abraham. And then there's David and his baby because David's baby who died, David said, I can't bring him back, but I can go to be with him. So David's with his little boy right now. And then, you know, I know there's Jesus and a thief because Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And then beyond that, I know everybody who's there is with the Lord because as I've been quoting to you several times already, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So right now the people in heaven are having a great time just hanging out with each other and waiting for Jesus to come back and bring us up there too. I like that because you know what? I, I've told you so much. I love this church. I love you guys. And you know when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about the building. I love you guys. And I love to just hang out with you. I love to be with you. I love to just, you know, fellowship with you and, and do things together. And I love that. And I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to love that. But let me tell you what's going to be awesome. You know what we think about going to heaven? We say, well, we're going to see each other. We tend to think about seeing the people who are contemporary with us. But there's all this cross-generational hanging out in heaven. Then when you get to heaven, if, if you die before Jesus comes back, you won't just be able to know the people that you knew in this life. You're going to be able to go talk to jo Jacob and Joseph and Abraham and Noah and all the people that lived in those time frames whose names we don't know yet. You're going to find out that you've got so much in common with the people who are in heaven. So right now in the intermediate stage, they're hanging out. Number two, the second thing I know that they're doing in heaven is they're excited and happy. Here's why I know that. The Bible says every time that somebody gets saved, there is rejoicing in heaven. Now, somebody will say, well, Mark, that's the angels. I've heard that all my life. The angels rejoice in heaven when somebody gets saved. That's true, but that's not completely what the Bible says. The Bible says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. 
Now, I believe the angels are happy, but the Bible says that they can't rejoice. See, angels were never, they were never given the opportunity to be saved. Those angels who rebelled against God, they're in hell. They had no second chance. So angels, you know, they, this thing about being able to be saved, the Bible says the angels kind of peer into that like a kid looking through a knothole at a baseball game because they want to know what it's like to be saved, but they don't know what it feels like. But we know what it feels like. So the Bible says that up in heaven, in the presence of the angels, every time somebody gets saved, there's a party going on. I, I, you know my imagination. You guys know I'm crazy. I have this vivid imagination in my mind. And I got to think it because every weekend people get saved at New Spring. I mean, I was talking to believers last week, and a number of people accepted Christ. Now, I, I got thinking about this up in heaven. You know, I think there's got to be, each, somebody's got this designated thing each time somebody gets saved because there's probably this city limit sign up in heaven with the population sign. And every time somebody gets saved, there must be somebody who gets to go up there with the marks a lot and draw through the number and write the new number. And I believe that happens. And it may happen today, right now. If, you know, if someone gets saved here at New Spring today, they're going to have a great time. So number two, they're rejoicing. And number three, here's, the, here's one that I really love. They're cheering. They're cheering you on. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let me make that, let me make that modern for you. It's like, can you imagine, have you ever been to Arrowhead or a Chiefs game? Man, it's Chiefs and the Raiders. Chiefs are at home. And man, there is a great cloud of witnesses right at Arrowhead. And I'm telling you, I've been there before, and I've heard, I've heard Chief fans. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I've got to tell you why. We can't compare with you Chief fans. You guys are awesome. You know how to cheer on a team. And the Bible tells us that right now in heaven, those loved ones who've gone to heaven, who are up there in that intermediate place, they're cheering for us. It's just like some of you today, you didn't plan to go to church. You woke up and you said, hey, it's cloudy outside. I think I'm just going to stay in bed. And you said, you know what? Man, Mark's going to be talking about heaven today. And I, can't, I, I think I'm going to roll out of bed and go anyway. And up in heaven, they're saying, yes, yes. And some of you are going to say, you know what, I heard the message last week, and I'm thinking about volunteering, and I'm kind of scared to death because I've never worked with kids before. I've never, you know, I've never greeted people before. But I think I'm going to take that first step today, and I'm going to volunteer, and up in heaven they're saying, yes. Because up in heaven they know what really matters. They don't cheer when you get a new house or a new car or a new, new wardrobe. Maybe they're okay for us, but they know what matters up there. And when you serve the Lord and when you put God first in your life and you're all about God's plan for you, they're having a great time. So I, I can't preach. I mean, I would preach. That would be the whole sermon this morning, just talking about the intermediate stage, the intermediate place. Now, there are people who say, well, I don't know. I, I'm afraid that I, I, if I go to heaven, I'm going to leave all the things behind on the earth. I, I have to tell you that I believe one of the main things that we're going to experience when we get to heaven is a new earth. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can read with me. In Revelation chapter 21, and by the way, Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, those are the very last things God wants you to know. It's amazing how much God talks about heaven in these last two chapters. But notice what the Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. So what we have here, where I believe we're going to live, is a new earth. And I like that idea. I mean, the Bible goes, tells us over and over about a new earth. We have it in the Old Testament. Peter talked about it. John's talking about it in the book of the Revelation. The Bible talks a lot about a new earth. 
Now, you guys are probably too young, too young to remember this, but I remember in Texas there was a singer called Tanya Tucker, and she used to have a song. I think it was Tanya Tucker. When I die, I may not go to heaven. I don't know if they let cowboys in. When I die, just let me go to Texas. Texas is as close as I've been. All of us in Texas know that song. But you know what? As wrong as she was in most of that song, she had one thing inadvertently that was kind of right. Because you know what? There is going to be a new earth. We are going to live in, a, in an earth, but it's not the earth like you and I know it. Yes, it will have a lot of the beauty that we experience now because the same God who made this earth is going to make the new earth, but it won't have a lot of the problems that this world, this earth is going to have. So I can't wait to see. Maybe when I die, we'll go to Texas, so, but it will be a new Texas. All right. Now, not only will it be a new earth, the Bible says for the old heaven, verse 1, and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Now, the second thing heaven is, is a new city. There is a capital city, and the Bible here begins to explain to us what will the capital city of heaven will be like. And the scripture calls it New Jerusalem. But it's like no city that you and I can ever imagine. I mean, after all, as someone has said, if God made this world in six days, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. What could God do in 2,000 years? I don't know that it would take God 2,000 years to do anything, but I do know this. I know that he is building a special capital city. And I've been to some great cities before, but there's no city that will prepare you for the capital city of heaven. The primary factor of the capital city is that Jesus rules and reigns from that place. That is God's plan. That has always been God's plan is to put his son on the throne. That is what the Abrahamic covenant's about. That's what the Davidic covenant is about. That's what God's covenant with Israel is about. God's promises all add up to one thing, putting his son on the throne. And I love that. I mean, when Jesus comes and reigns, it's going to be wonderful. But he's going to rule in this new city called the New Jerusalem. Now, let's read about it. Verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them. Skip to verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Now, I like that about heaven, and I'm probably going to make some of you upset with me for a moment, but please love me anyway. My wife loves antiques, and she's always trying to pull me into an antique shop. Folks, I'm sorry. Antiques look like junk to me, okay? They, they are just used furniture. I don't care if George Washington slept there and Martha Washington made up the bed. It's still used furniture to me. I like new things. I like the smell of new things. And here's what I love. The Bible says here, Jesus is saying he is going to make everything new. And not just new the first few minutes you get into heaven because many of us have experienced something new and watch it age. I'm convinced here that what Jesus is saying is I make everything perpetually new. All throughout eternity, it'll be perpetually new. Why? I mean, listen to what Jesus said one day. He said, don't lay your treasures up on the earth where moth and rust and, and thieves do their work. Listen, he's talking about the influence of time and evil and aging. Those things will not be in heaven. So whatever God makes will be perpetually new. I love that. Okay, let's skip down to verse 10. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like Jasper's clearest crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. Verse 
15. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates and its wall. When he measured it, he found out it was a square as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick according to the human standard used by an angel. The wall was made of jasper and the city was pure gold as clear as glass. Now we're learning some things about the capital city of the New Jerusalem. The Bible says, and this is so beautiful to me, I wish I knew how to, I, I can't wait to see it. You know, I can see pieces of it, but I can't wait to see it. Here's what the Bible says. It's going to be 1,400 miles long. Now, are you getting the idea it's not a normal city? 1,400 miles wide, that's the footprint. That means the footprint of the New, New Jerusalem would go from the Appalachian Mountains to the West Coast, from Canada to Mexico. That's just the footprint. Now, but here's what really gets me. It's 1,400 miles tall. So we're not going to be living kind of like we're living. I mean, you know, I think about this. Every once in a while, I go to one of these really nice hotels in the city that have the rooms around the perimeter, and there's this huge atrium that goes up, you know, many, many stories tall. I don't know if the New Jerusalem's going to be like that or not, but it is going to be an awesome place. And guys, can I just tell you one thing? I really believe when we get to heaven and we see the New Jerusalem, we're going to say, oh, man, there was room for so many more people. I believe the New Jerusalem will have enough room for every person who's ever lived. Jesus said, remember, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. I calculate this. Just taking the square footage of what Jesus talked about, the square mileage of what Jesus talked about, there is room in the New Jerusalem easily for billions and billions of people. It is an awesome, awesome place. Now, I know there could be a skeptic who could say, well, Mark, that's all metaphorical, and God's just talking in spiritual language. Hey, those are some pretty exact numbers for metaphorical language, aren't they? I mean, 216 feet thick, 1,400 miles. If we were just cutting that off in broad numbers and God wanted to give a big number there, he wouldn't have had to have been so specific. But it's a cube. The city's a cube. What's interesting about that is the dwelling place of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a cube. The internal chamber, the Holy of Holies, was a cube. This is just sort of what God likes. And that's what the New Jerusalem is going to be like. Let's read a little bit more here. Verse 21. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. And the main street was pure gold as clear as glass. Verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there is no night there. Isn't that awesome? That's the place we're going to. That is heaven. But you know, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with heaven a lot of times is in our minds, we read about gates of pearl, and we read about diamonds and foundations and gemstones, and we're thinking, oh, I don't know. I mean, what you should understand is the Bible was written primarily to the Eastern world. In the first century, when the Bible was given to the world, it was pretty much an Eastern culture. And the Eastern culture is very different from the 21st century Western culture that you and I live in. And so what what you have to understand is God was getting a point across to them. They valued wealth in terms of gemstones and precious, precious stones and jewels. If you had a lot of that, you were wealthy. It sets you apart. 
you were rich. Do you hear what God is saying? Can you sort of tune your ear to what God is saying? When God says the streets are paved with gold, what he was saying to them is those things in this world that you think are so valuable, they are common in heaven. You know, those, those horrible jokes that people tell about, well, somebody went to heaven and St. Peter was at the gate. Aren't those wretched? You know, oh, this is just so wrong. St. Peter's not at the gate. And, you know, you only get in through the blood of the lamb, and Peter has got to get in just like you and me. But there is an old story. It's apocryphal. It's not true, but it does sort of bear a point here. Supposedly a guy died. He was very wealthy. He went to heaven, and Peter met him at the gate, and the guy was really disappointed because when he got to heaven, he didn't have any of his wealth with him. And he told Peter he didn't think it was fair because he'd worked so hard on the, in the world and he'd amassed all this wealth. And he said, hey, I'm up here and I don't have anything. And, and again, this is not a true story. But according to the story, Peter said, all right, here's a briefcase. You can go back to the world and you can bring whatever you can put in this briefcase up here to heaven. And we'll let you bring that in. So he went back to earth and he got to thinking, well, I can't take cash because they're not on the currency that we're on here in America. And then he got thinking about stocks and he thought, well, a lot of those companies won't be represented in heaven. Can't take them to heaven. And so he got thinking, well, you know what? Bullion works everywhere. Gold bullion works everywhere. So he went to his safe and started bringing bars of bullion, put it in his briefcase, got up to heaven. Peter said, what do you have in the briefcase? And he opened it up and he said, well, hey, that's really neat, but why'd you bring street pavement up here? Now, for us, we struggle with that because we, we don't tend to value wealth in terms of, of diamonds. Think for a moment. Here's what I want you to do as an exercise. I want you to think about, as Americans, what do we value? What is it that we look at when we watch the shows about the rich and the famous that we say, I'll never have that. I won't have the money. I mean, every once in a while, I'll watch one of these shows with these multi-million dollar homes. You, you've seen those? And you, and you say, ooh, man, look at all this. Look at these gardens. Look at these terraces. You know, look at all the square footage. Look at this home theater system and all these things. And you're saying, I'll never, ha- I'll never have that. I'm just doing good to make a mortgage on my house. Or what about these yachts? I've seen shows before that have all these million-dollar yachts, you know, and it's amazing to me what, what people do with their money. And, you know, sometimes three, four, five million-dollar yachts out there. And I'm thinking, I will, I will never have that. And then every once in a while, I'll see a, sign, you know, I see a show that has airplanes, you know, private aircraft. You know why we watch those shows? Because 99 and 9 tenths percent of us will never have anything like that, but we're just curious to see how the rich and the famous live. I want you to imagine what the Lord is saying is, look, you know what? Streets of heaven, you know what? There are Bentleys all up and down it. You know, there are mega million dollar homes all over this place. Everybody's got one of those here. And I'm not even sure that those will be the things that will be in heaven. It's just the point that God is getting across to us that wealth is no issue for him and those things that we consider valuable, God says they are commonplace in heaven. I just want you to get ready. I want you to think about it. Heaven's an awesome place. Whether you go to the intermediate state or whether, you know, you go in the rapture and I mean, whenever you go, it's going to be awesome. But there's one thing I want to say to you today, and I'm, I don't, I'm just going to have to ask God to help me communicate this. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you don't miss it. You go to the average funeral service, and you think everybody goes to heaven, right? I mean, <laughs> I hear this all the time in our culture. Somebody died, and we say, well, they're in a better place. A better place. It's sort of like the generic term for, 
I guess they had to leave the world, and I'm going to throw the ball up deep and hope for the best, and maybe they're in a better place. And there's a feeling that just, you know, everybody goes. I would like to tell you that this morning. I I am by nature one who likes to please. I would love nothing better than to stand up before you and tell you, everybody's going. But who would you think would be the ultimate authority on the subject? You say, well, Mark, I watched this pastor on television. But he hadn't been there. <laughs> the ultimate authority is Jesus. Now, guys, I've got to tell you what Jesus said, or, or I'm a fake, I'm a phony. If I don't stand before you and tell you what Jesus said, you shouldn't listen to me. Jesus said, there's a wide road. And there's a broad gate. And there's a big crowd. In fact, the majority are on this road. What I want to hear Jesus say next is that this road leads to heaven. But he doesn't. He says the broad road with the wide gate, with the big crowd, winds up in hell. And then he said there's a narrow road and a straight gate, or a narrow gate, and there's a minority on this road, but it leads to heaven. Now, somebody could say, well, I don't think that's fair of God. And you have to understand, listen to me, Jesus doesn't want the big crowd on the broad road to wind. Jesus wants the broad road. He wants a big crowd. He wants the majority going to heaven. Because he said, be sure you get on the right road. So clearly it's not that God just wants the minority to go. It's just that heaven is a choice. It's a prepared place for prepared people. When I say that gate is narrow, here's what I'm telling you. It is as narrow as Jesus one of the questions that I have people ask me, and I, I hear this all the time, you know, media types ask me, friends ask me, a lot of our culture ask me this question. Mark, don't you think that God will just let any sincere person into heaven? I mean, and, 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 and in all candor, people will ask me, what makes you think your religion is better than anybody else's. And, you know, that starts me off. You know what I always say to that? I don't like any religion. I don't have a religion. I hate religion. But the deal is this. God made one way for people to go to heaven. It cost him. Boy, on Father's Day, can you imagine as a father what God the Father suffered when his son was on the cross? At expense that you and I can never dream, God paid, listen to me, God paid for your everlasting life. And God says, here's my son, Jesus. If you'll receive him, you may have everlasting life. And it comes down to that. That's why at the end of every service, I ask you, if you've never received Jesus, to receive him. I'm going to ask you today, have you made preparation to go to heaven? You know, we have a problem in America right now. The government tried to mitigate a little bit last week. But in January, there were new passport rules. Before January, you could usually get a passport in 10 weeks, but now it's taking months. 
And there are a lot of horror stories. You've probably heard some about people who've had to cancel vacations because they didn't get their passports in time. I read about a family who had, they had spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a vacation and they didn't get their passports in time. They got their congressman involved and they finally just had to cancel the trip because they didn't have a passport. What I want to tell you is if you miss heaven, hear me please, if you miss heaven, it won't be because the price wasn't paid. It won't be because you weren't good enough. The price has been paid. I honestly believe Jesus' blood, when he died on the cross, I believe his blood was sufficient and efficient enough for anyone who trusts in him. I believe that. I know that. The Bible says it. If you miss eternity, it'll be because you don't have a passport. I don't mean a physical passport. I mean, here's the, here's the deal. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I was eight years old in the playground of my school, and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. I basically said, Lord, here's my passport. Would you stamp it for me? You know, I know I'm going to the place I talked about today. I'm like, Emily, like Emily Dickinson said in her poem, Charles, I, I know it. I mean, I'm as certain right now. I know I'm going. You say, Mark, you're an arrogant cuss. If you say you know you're going, hey, listen, it's not because of my goodness. I'm one of the worst people in the world in my mind. I'm going because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I, he rose from the grave, and I invite him into my life. And God stamped my passport. And when Jesus calls for me, or if I die, you don't have to say, well, I hope Mark's in a better place. You can say, I know exactly where Mark is. He's in the intermediate place. He's hanging out with God's people. He's excited when people get saved. And he's cheering people on who are following Jesus. And he's getting ready to go to the big dance. I love that. got to ask you, though, are you prepared to go? Are you prepared? You say, well, it's not a good time for me. You know why it's not a good idea to wait for a passport right now? It's sure not a good idea to put off Jesus. You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm in a relationship that right now I'm kind of sleeping with somebody. It's not my wife or my husband. And oh, I just got to see if this runs its course. And maybe somewhere down along the road I'll think about getting religion. That is the worst and dumbest idea I can possibly think of. God loves you too much for you to do that. You say, well, I've never been a religious person. I've never been a church person. My question is, do you want to be a heaven person? Well, I've got to finish because our time is gone. But would you just pray with me for a moment? Each weekend at New Spring, I give people a chance to pray the prayer because it's so important. Remember, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will, not might be, but will be saved. And if you've never invited Jesus into your heart and life, you can do that right now. Because remember this, God's not asking you to pay a price. Jesus did that. He's just asking you to endorse the check. He's asking you to receive Christ. And if you want to pray, you can do this with me. Now, you don't have to use my words. You can use your own. But I want to give you some words to pray. And if you mean these from your heart, the Bible says that God will listen to you. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you arose from the grave and you're in heaven listening to me right now. Come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Savior and as my new Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to do something very powerful. It won't feel powerful, but it is. You received a worship folder when you came in. 
and there's a detachable card. You know, the Bible says that whoever believes on Jesus will not be ashamed of him. And I'm going to ask you to do the first thing to show that you're not ashamed of Jesus. Would you just put your name on here in a way that I can get in contact with you and just check the box and say, Mark, I prayed to receive Christ today. And the reason why I want you to do that is I want to get you some easy-to-understand booklets that will help you to know what it means to follow Jesus. And you can drop these in the boxes back there by the back doors or at the bottom of the staircases or in the offering plate. Or you can bring them to me at the end of the service. And a lot of other things you can check and let us know about too. But I really would appreciate that today. If you prayed to receive Christ, I want to rejoice just like people in heaven are rejoicing. Let me know about that today. I'm going to ask our ushers to come now to receive the morning offering. There are envelopes in the backs of the pews right in front of you. And um, there's a spot on there for your tithe, for your offerings, for your mission gifts. You guys are wonderful. Your giving makes so many things possible. When you give, people get saved. And beyond that, the Bible says God will reward you in heaven, and he'll reward you in this life. There's no deal like this other than salvation. So... Right now, as the ushers are waiting and you're preparing your offering, let's pray and ask God's grace. Lord, thank you for what we've experienced. Thank you for the two services already. And we ask your power and your blessing in the 11 o'clock service to come. In Jesus' name.